All right, thank you, worship team. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11? We're going to look at a very familiar passage today talking about the Lord's Prayer and the disciples' response to Jesus. And when I come to a passage like this, when I think uh, you know, about something that is familiar, like the Lord's Prayer, I use this as a time to really check my own prayer life and to ask myself, am I praying for the kinds of things that are important to God? Or has my prayer life become sort of narrow and focused on me? And I think it's good for us to come and ask the Lord that question because we want to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. So let me read this passage for us, and then we'll jump into the text. Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you for it. Thank you for the instruction you give us here on how to pray. And Father, I pray that as we examine our own heart, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, show us how we can grow in this area because prayer is so important for our daily fellowship with you. Lord, would you teach us to pray in Jesus' name? Amen. In early August, Gail and I uh, took care of our four grandchildren for a couple weeks. And their ages are two, four, six, and eight. And during that time that they were with us, we actually had three birthday parties. Mariah, our youngest, turned three. Uh, Penny turned five. And Gail uh, celebrated 39 again. I don't know how she does that. She just... <laughs> stays right there. Uh, plus, we had a baby shower for Becca, Ben's wife, who was expecting a, a child in November, so that's a pretty exciting thing coming up. So we had these four big celebrations during this two weeks, 
And the grandkids loved it. I mean, they think grandma and grandpa celebrate all the time. It's just a big, big party at our house. And, and uh, we had a lot of fun having them together. But it was also tiring. Uh, there's a reason you have kids when you're young. And uh, Gail and I would get them in bed at night or try to, and they'd come out a couple times, of course, you know, and then back in bed. And by the time they were in bed, we were just wiped out from the day. But one of the things that I enjoy about young children is how eager they are to learn. I mean, they just, they're like sponges. They're just soaking up everything. Uh, Gail did some artwork and craft with them, and they're like, Grandma, can you teach us, you know, how to do watercolor? Can you show us how to do that, you know? And she did some fun projects with them. And if I was going out to the garden, you know, they were right there. Grandpa, can I help in the garden? They'd want to pick vegetables, you know? And so I'd teach them how to pick green beans without pulling up the whole plant or, you know, how to pick tomatoes and things like that that we were harvesting. And, and it was a lot of fun. And stories. They love stories when you read to them, and it was kind of funny. Mariah, who I said just turned three, when I was reading to her, she's a little chatterbox in a way, you know, and so all the way through the story is this running commentary on the story, you know, and Grandpa, this is really scary here, or Grandpa, that's, you know, he did this, or she did that, and, and um, they, just, they just love it. They are so eager to learn, and I think of that with the disciples, when they turned to Jesus and they came to this point in their ministry where they had seen him praying so much and they had seen his fellowship with the Father, they had seen the the power of his prayer life and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? You know, one of the things we notice in Luke's gospel is how often Jesus prayed. Luke highlights that. And just, I want to run through these. Take, take note of this. Jesus prayed at his baptism, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And the heavens were opened, and the Spirit came down like a dove upon him. Jesus prayed in the wilderness, chapter 4, in the start of his ministry, 40 days, 40 nights, spending time with his Father in prayer. He prayed before calling the first disciples, chapter 4, verse 42. He prayed before choosing the 12. And I imagine him all night in prayer talking with the Father about those who would be called to be in that company of the 12. He prayed before going to Jerusalem on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appeared with him to strengthen him for what was ahead. He prayed here in Luke 11 before teaching them about prayer. And he would pray before going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would pray, Father, let this cup be taken away from me if it is possible. But not my will, but thy will be done. Before every major event in Jesus' life, he prayed, Sometimes he prayed early in the morning. Sometimes he prayed all night. And Jesus showed the disciples. He showed them and he shows us how to walk in fellowship with our Father in heaven. They saw the power and the priority of prayer in Jesus' life. And they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. If we desire to have daily fellowship with God, then we must pray. 
So we're going to look at this passage and see what Jesus said to the disciples and what is he saying to us. The first thing is we are to pray as Jesus taught us. We we see that in verses 1 to 4. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer for us. The words uh, that Jesus used to introduce it, he says, when you pray, say, Father, uh, seems to indicate that this is a prayer to be repeated, that we are right when we pray this together again and again and again. But also, the fact that it is different in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel Matthew has six petitions, Luke has five petitions. The wording is not exactly the same, it's different. The fact that it is different may indicate also that this is intended to be a model prayer or an example for us of the kinds of things that we should be praying for. And it is not just a rote prayer that someone says without thinking, without understanding. Another observation about this prayer is that it is a corporate prayer. Have you ever noticed that all the pronouns here are plural? It is give us our daily bread. It is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's corporate. You see, our relationship with Christ is not just an individual relationship. We are part of a body. We are part of a community of believers. And so you can't even pray this prayer honestly if you don't have that connection. I mean, if you think somehow that my relationship with God is just my own personal thing and I can go do whatever I want and I don't really need to be connected to church, it's not that important, you are wrong. And you can't even pray this prayer. Because this prayer is a corporate prayer that includes us in the body of Christ. And so Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. We can call God our Father. It is a term of intimacy and respect. And it is hard for us because we're so familiar with it to understand just how radical that was when Jesus said it. It is true in the Old Testament that God was called a father on a few occasions, but it is more in that uh, sense of of a community for Israel in the Old Testament. It was not something that they used in their personal address to God in prayer. The Jewish people had a high regard for the name of God, so they would not even pronounce the name God. Yahweh, that sacred, it was called the Tetragrammaton. They would not even pronounce it. In fact, when those letters occurred in the Old Testament, for example, in the books of Moses, the Y-H-W-H, as we would spell it, uh, they did not even include the vowels. They didn't want to whisper or say that name of God. It was so holy. So what they did instead was they took the vowels for the word Lord, Adonai, And they put those vowels in so that whenever they came to that in Scripture, they would read Adonai instead of saying that sacred name of God. What happened later then in translations when people didn't understand that is that they combined those and they came up with the name Jehovah. 
the consonants of Yahweh, the vowels of Adonai, and they put those together, but that was not really the name of God. So Jesus comes along and he tells us that we can call God our Father. Prayer is the privilege of every child of God, but only those who know him can rightly call him Father. Jesus would even use the Aramaic term Abba, meaning Daddy. Do you hear how close that is? How intimate that is? I mean, he wants us to think of God not as someone who is transcendent, this God who is far off and removed from us, and we don't know anything about him, but he wants us to think of God as our loving Heavenly Father, our our Daddy who cares for us, who is watching over us. And yet we are to approach him with respect. God is not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy in the sky. Or those kind of terms that can be so flippant. He's the almighty God. And he is to be approached reverently, not flippantly. And the first two petitions in the Lord's Prayer reflect that. Hallowed be your name. The first petition. It is a prayer to let your name be regarded as holy. It's an act of worship. It is recognizing who God is. In the Bible, names are significant. They represent a person's character. And all of those names that were given for God in the Old Testament reflect something about his attributes. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. Jehovah Ra, the God who sees. Adonai, the sovereign Lord who watches over us. The Lord of Sabbath or the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. I mean, all of these things reflect something about his power, his justice, his sovereignty, his mercy, his love. And what we are praying here is we are saying, may the world come to see you as holy. May they too honor your name, and may we honor your name and come to you as the holy God. The second petition is for the kingdom. Your kingdom come. It is a prayer for the return of Christ, for the second coming. It's the longing of the heart of every believer for that day when our Lord will return and establish his kingdom on the earth. It is a prayer for justice in our world. It's a prayer for an end to sin and suffering. It's a prayer for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, all of us have been watching some of the news coming out related to Hurricane Harvey. And what has been so good to see has been whether people are black or white coming together and rescuing and helping one another. It's been good to see the good in people who have come alongside of others to care, to share their food and water, to offer that kind of help to rescue or to get to safety or to be able to rebuild. And we praise that. We praise that when we see the good in people. And I tell you, on the other side, it just it makes me angry. I'm sure it makes you angry when you hear about scams. And you hear about people that set up bogus charities offering to help, but they really don't. They just want to take the money for themselves. 
Or they offer to rebuild and say, well, we could do this construction, but they have no intention of ever doing that. And both are present every time you have disasters. And we pray for righteousness. We pray for the good and people to come out. And we pray for an end to the sin and suffering in our world. But when we pray, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can't pray that honestly without wanting it to be true in our own life. God, I want to align my will with yours. I want your will to be done in my life. It is a prayer of surrender. It's saying to God, God, more than anything else, we desire your will to be done in our world and in my heart, in my life. The third petition is for our daily bread. It is about our basic needs. And isn't that wonderful to know that God cares about our daily needs? He cares about the details of our life. That he invites us to pray about our work, our home life, our family, the people we love, our needs for food and shelter, for health and relationships. And he wants us to trust him to provide what we need. What's interesting is that there's some debate over what the word daily means. The word for daily can actually be used two ways. It can be a prayer for today's bread, but it can also be a prayer for tomorrow's bread. It's, it's interesting. If prayed in the morning, it is bread for today. If prayed in the evening, it is bread for tomorrow. It literally reads, give us today the bread of tomorrow. And spiritually, it is also a reminder that God wants to give us that bread, which if we eat, we will never hunger again. It's the bread of life. It's the bread that only Jesus can provide when we come to know him. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. Thank you that you are a God who cares about our needs. And thank you that you are our provider. The fourth petition is for forgiveness. It's about our relationship with God and with others. And in Scripture, the two are connected. We don't forgive others to earn our forgiveness. There's no merit here in doing this. Instead, it is because of God's forgiveness and grace in our life that we can forgive others. I mean, when we understand our sin and God's grace and forgiving us and changing our life, how can we not forgive those who have sinned against us? It's like what the Scripture says about love. In 1 John 4.20, the Scripture says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. They go together. You can't say, I love God and hate your brother. You can't say, God, forgive me, and then hold a grudge against someone else. And some people pride themselves on not forgiving. You know, like, like I'm going to get even, or I'm not going to let this thing go, or I'm going to hang on to that hurt. Charles Spurgeon said, 
Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, and you say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, if you have no intention of forgiving others, you are reading your own judgment. That's sobering, isn't it? Instead, what he is saying, that true believers who understand God's grace and mercy forgive, and they show grace, and they believe the best about people, and they want to help others to grow in that relationship with Jesus too. The fifth petition, it's for spiritual strength. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew will add a sixth petition, but deliver us from evil. And this petition, lead us not into temptation, has sometimes been misunderstood. God doesn't tempt anyone. James 1.13 makes that clear. God does not tempt us to sin. But God will use trials and temptations in our life to make us into the person he wants us to be. He'll use those things to build our character. That's why James 1, 2, and 3 tells us to count it all joy when you encounter trials of different kinds, knowing that what they produce in our life is perseverance. Temptation, when resisted, develops our moral character. It is part of that refining process that when tempted and we resist, we grow, we demonstrate the character of God, the grace that he has given to us, and we experience his power in our life. In this prayer, we are asking God to keep us from falling in the hour of trial. God, give us the wisdom and strength we need. Protect us from the enemy's attacks. Help us to stand firm in that hour of testing. But if our prayer is to be effective, then it needs to come from our heart. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be done with a desire to do God's will. That's why Jesus gave us this prayer. And again, the question that I ask myself and I would ask you is, how closely do our prayers match this pattern? I mean, do we find ourselves praying for God to be glorified? Do we find ourselves praying for God's kingdom and the advance of the gospel throughout the world? Are we praying for our daily needs, or is that all we're praying about? Do we pray asking for forgiveness and forgiving others? Do we pray for spiritual strength in the battle that we are in? Those are good questions to ask. And Jesus gives us two more encouragements to pray in this passage. He tells us that we are to pray with boldness in verses 5 to 8. In fact, the word really means to be shameless to ask for big things, to come before God boldly, and to pray about those things that he has put on your heart. God loves that. But to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand Near Eastern culture, where hospitality was a cultural expectation. He tells this story about a man who comes to his friend at midnight, and he asks for some bread because... A friend has come to their village. He wants a place to stay. And in those days, you didn't have motels. You didn't have restaurants, you know, like we do today. So when someone came and they stayed with you, 
you were to be a good host. Not only you, but the community was to be a good host, the village. And so if someone came, you would want to provide bread for them, uh, not only for today when they arrive, but to take with them on the journey. So you got three loaves of bread here he wants to give and be able to care for them and send them on their way. And if you didn't do that, it brought shame on you and brought shame on the community. And maybe that day when they arrived wasn't your day to bake bread, but your neighbor down the street had baked some bread. And so you would go to him and ask for that. Now, to put this into our context, it would be like this. Say that one night a friend comes to Pastor Jason's home. And, and he comes, you know, around midnight, 1 o'clock. You know, Jason stays up a little later than I do. And he knocks on the door and says, hey, I've come from this long journey. And can I stay with you tonight and get something to eat? You know, and so... Jason says, sure, and he goes to the fridge and opens it up, and he doesn't have much in there. And so he's thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll go over to Pastor Rick's house because his refrigerator is always full, and, and Gail's a pretty good cook, and so we'll go over there and, and see what they have. So there we are, and I'm asleep, you know, and Jason comes and he pounds on the door, you know, bang, 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 you know, knocking, Rick, Rick, I need your help. And I, I'm drowsy, fast asleep, and I'm, I'm wondering, who is this? And I hear it again, bang, 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 you know. And wouldn't you know, it had to be in those two weeks when we were taking care of the grandkids. <laughs> and, and I look out that second floor window, and there's Jason standing there. I'm going, Jason, we got the kids asleep. Don't pound on the door, you know, please. I mean, you're going to wake everybody up. It was even worse back in those days because they had like a one-room house, and people parents and kids slept together and one mat on the floor and you can imagine how difficult it was for this guy but here's jason he's telling me i've got this friend who's coming and i'm like jason go to sleep i'll be there in the morning and i'll bring something in no no i need it now and you know knocks on the door again and um, so finally i go down to the freezer i grab three loaves of bread and throw them out the window and say jason here take it and, and go bless you well What's the point of this story that Jesus is telling? And the point of this story is not that God is a reluctant giver like I was in that illustration. No, God longs to give good things to his children. But God does reward our persistence and our boldness. He rewards that. In fact, what we persist in praying for is an indication that of what is important to us. The things that we keep knocking on God's door for is a reflection of what is really important to us. What are those things? Prayer for the salvation of a family member or a friend. And we keep knocking on the door asking God, would you work in their heart to bring them to Christ? Prayers for the church, unity in the church. Prayers that we would be effective at making disciples. Prayers for laborers, for the harvest. God, would you raise up those from our church who would serve you not only in this community, but would you call some out who would serve you around the world? Prayers for effectiveness in our evangelism. God, would you bless this year that we would see many come to know Christ in each of our ministries. 
Prayer for spiritual growth, that we would mature in our understanding. Prayers that God would break the strongholds in our heart. You see what I'm saying? Is that God wants to broaden our prayer life. So it's not only about, Lord, what we need today for our daily bread, but it is prayers for the advance of God's kingdom. It's prayers for God to be glorified in our life, in our church, in our world. You know, I think of big prayers. I think of a man like John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die. He prayed for revival to come to Scotland. And it is no wonder that so many theologians and so many good things came out of the revivals that followed in those years. I think of George Mueller, who ran those orphanages in England, who prayed for the salvation of two friends for over 60 years. Records are in a journal that he got. Prayed for these friends. One came to know Christ shortly before George Mueller died. Another came to know Christ shortly after he died. What are we praying for? What do we value? And then thirdly, he teaches us to pray with confidence in verses 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Those commands are all in what we call a present imperative form. It really could read like this, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And you will receive, you will find, and the door will be open. It is that ongoing command, not just once, but to come before his throne of grace day after day for the things that we seek. And God will answer those prayers. Why? Because our Father in heaven loves us even more than our earthly fathers do. God will answer our prayers when we pray according to his will. And what a great assurance this is. What a great invitation. And Jesus says, I mean, listen, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? In Israel, there is a fish that looks like a snake. There is a scorpion that when curled up looks like an egg. But what earthly father would give them to his child? Only a very wicked, cruel earthly father would even think to do something like that. No one who has any kindness in his heart at all is going to do that. And Jesus says if an earthly father would not treat his children that way, how much more will our Father in heaven do for us if we ask him? And how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God longs to give us his best. And Luke here points to the gift of the Holy Spirit that will come after Jesus' ascension to heaven. That Holy Spirit, that great gift, the presence of God in our life, in our heart. I mean, that's amazing. You know, if our eyes were open, we would see in each of us who know Christ, the glory of Christ within you even today. The presence of the Holy Spirit who is there to encourage, 
to strengthen, to empower, to guide, to convict, to lift up. I mean, Romans 8, 31 and 32 says that he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God has already given us the very best gift he could give, how will he not also take care of our other needs? So when you pray, this is how we are to pray. We are to follow Jesus' example and pray as he taught us. For God's glory, for the kingdom, for daily needs, for forgiveness, and for spiritual strength. We are to pray with boldness, coming before his throne, asking God for great things, and for those things that are on our heart. And pray with confidence because God is a God who hears and delights to answer the prayers of his children. We're going to close this message today by praying the Lord's Prayer together. And I think it's appropriate, and I think this is a time for us to kind of think about what I've been talking about this morning as we pray this prayer. Would you stand? And we're going to do this together. It'll be up on the screen. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to remain standing. Today we don't have a uh, closing hymn. But instead, I'm going to read a benediction for us, the benediction that comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. And me.